Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Hi folks, Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. But before I get started today, I would like to say hi to Brad from Iowa. Brad, you sent me a great picture. Uh, happy 40th birthday. Thank you. And Ken, who uh, suggested a book about Nevada ghost towns. I'm going to check into that. And Brian, who asked about saloon doors, and I'm going to check into that. Also, Vaughn, who has suggested a story about mysterious Dave Mather. And Vaughn lives back in Connecticut, so I'm going to check into that. And also, Merrill has suggested a story about the Abernathy Boys. So I'll be checking into those. I've got a list from listeners that uh, I appreciate getting. So today, I'm going to talk about a story that I'm not real proud of our country and the way they handled this, but it is part of the Old West, and I believe it deserves a telling. So this is the story of the ghost dance and the battle of Wounded Knee. You see, folks, during the decade following Custer's defeat on the Little Bighorn, the warring tribes of Indians in the American West gradually lost their power, and, uh, you know, they were locked into the reservations. A lot of the great chiefs and mighty warriors were dead. The buffalo and the antelope had almost vanished. The old ceremonies of the tribes uh, they had that had been sacred rituals, they were kind of without meaning now. For the survivors, this was a time without spirit, really a pretty much a time of despair. Now, in such times, uh, the defeated people searched for redeemers, and soon, on many reservations, there were dreamers. Uh, these men would tell of approaching redemption. Now, most of them were great fakers, but some were sincere in their visions. Now, in 1870, the defeated Paiutes of Nevada had found a redeemer uh, in a man by the name of Tavabo. Now, he was a petty chief who claimed to have talked with divine spirits in the mountains. All the people of the earth were to be swallowed up. The spirits told him, but at the end of three days, the Indians would be resurrected in the flesh and live forever. They would enjoy the earth, which was rightfully theirs. Once again, there would be plenty of game, fish, pine nuts. Best of all, the white invaders would be destroyed forever. Now, when Tavabo first told his vision to the Paiutes, he attracted a few believers, but gradually he added other features to his story. And he went up into the mountains again for further revelation. It was necessary for the Indians to dance everywhere, to keep on dancing. This would please the great spirit who would come and destroy the white men and bring back the buffalo. Now, unfortunately, uh, Tavabo died shortly after he told of these things. But he had a son. His son was named Wovoka. And he was considered the natural inheritor of his powers by the Paiutes, who believed in the new religion of the dance. Now, Wovoka was only 14 years old when his father died. And he was taken into the family of a white farmer named David Wilson. And he was given the name Jack Wilson. Wilson. Now, in his new home, the boy's imagination was fired by Bible stories told to him. He was fascinated by the white man's God. 
Well, on New Year's Day of 1889, a vision came to Wovoka, who was Jack Wilson. While he lay ill, he was sick, he had a fever, he dreamed that he died and went to heaven. God spoke to him, commanding him to take a message back to earth. Well, Wovoka was to tell the Indians that if they would follow God's commandment, and perform a ghost dance at regular intervals, their old days of happiness and prosperity would be returned to them. Now, in January of 1889, on the Walker Lake Reservation in Nevada, the first ghost dance was performed on a dancing ground selected by Wovoka. The ceremony was basically simple. The Paiutes formed a large circle, dancing and chanting as they constricted the circle Then the circle would widen, then it would constrict again and again. The dancing continued for a day and a night. Wovoka, sitting in the middle of the circle before a large fire with his head bowed. He wore a white striped coat, a pair of trousers and moccasins. On the second day, he stopped the dancing and described the visions that God had sent to him. Then the dancing commenced again and lasted for three more days. Now, that's a lot of dancing. When a second dance was held soon afterward, several Utes visited the ceremony just out of curiosity. Uh, Returning to their own reservation, the Utes told the neighboring Bannocks about what they'd seen. The Bannocks sent emissaries to the next dance, and within a few weeks, the Shoshone at the Fort Hall Reservation saw a ritual staged by the Bannocks. Now, they were so impressed that they sent a delegation to Nevada to learn the new religion from Wovoka himself. Now, perhaps more than any of the other tribes, the Cheyenne and the Sioux felt the need for a Messiah. They needed somebody that could lead them back to their days of glory. And after the story of Wovoka was carried swiftly to their reservation, several medicine men decided to make a pilgrimage out there. And it was a mark of a prestige uh, at that time for them to travel by railroad. And as soon as they could raise enough money, they purchased tickets to Nevada. So in the autumn of 1889, a Cheyenne named Porcupine made the journey. And a short time later, another Indian, a couple more, Short Bull, Kicking Bear, and a few other of the Sioux leaders traveled all the way from the Dakotas clear out to Nevada. Now, the Sioux accepted the ghost dance religion with a lot of excitement, more so than the other tribes. And on their return to the Dakota Reservation, each delegate tried to outdo the other in describing the wonders of the Messiah. Wavoka came down from heaven, they said, in a cloud. He showed them a vision of all the nations of Indians coming home. The earth would be covered with dust, and then a new earth would come upon the old. They must use the sacred red and white paint and the sacred grass to make the vanished buffalo return in great herds. Well, in the spring of 1890, the Sioux began dancing the ghost dance at the Pine Ridge Reservation. Now, they added new symbols to Wavoka's original ceremony. By June, they were wearing ghost shirts made of cotton cloth, painted blue around the neck, with bright-colored thunderbirds, bows and arrows, suns, moons, and stars written on their shirts. To accompany the dancing, they also made some songs, ghost songs. And here's one of them. Here's what the song said. The whole world is coming, 
A nation is coming. A nation is coming. The eagle has brought the message to the tribe. The father says so. The father says so. Over the whole earth, they are coming. The buffalo are coming. The buffalo are coming. And that was the song. Now, mainly because they misunderstood the meaning of the ghost dance religion, the government policymakers who ran the reservations from Washington decided they had to get rid of it. They had to stamp it out. If they'd taken the trouble to examine this religion, they would have found that in its original form, the religion was opposed to all forms of violence, self-mutilation, theft, and falsehood. And as one army officer said, quote, Wavoka has given these people a better religion than they ever had before. So there was a big misunderstanding right off the bat. Now, the ghost dance might have died away under official pressure uh, had they not uh, decided that uh, the uh, sitting bull uh, came into the picture. And he was chosen to come out from his retirement near the Standing Rock Agency and join the new religion of this dance. Now, Sitting Bull was the last of the great unreconciled chiefs. Since his return from Canada, where he'd gone after the Custer battle, he had been carrying on a feud with the military as well with the civilian reservation agents. And folks, I've told you stories about a lot of those reservation agents that, uh, you know, they didn't feed them the, the food they needed and what they did feed them was not fit to eat a lot of times. So when Kicking Bear, one of the early visitors to Wavoka, visited Sitting Bull in the late 1890s to teach him the ghost dance, the agent, James McLaughlin, ordered Kicking Bear escorted off the reservation. Now, Sitting Bull may or may not have believed in the Messiah, but he was always searching for opportunities to outsmart the, the authorities. Now, Kicking Bear was hardly off the reservation before Sitting Bull set up a dance camp and started instructing his followers in this new religion. Well, it didn't take long. A short time, the peaceful ghost songs became warlike chants. More of a war song than uh, a ghost dance, I guess. Anyway, efforts of the authorities to put a stop to the ghost dance now led to resentment from the Indians. Well, inevitably, the army was drawn into the controversy. And in the late autumn of 1890, General Nelson Miles ordered more troops into the Plains area. So you can see what's coming, folks. It's not good. Suspecting that Sitting Bull was the leading troublemaker, Miles uh, informally asked Buffalo Bill Cody to act as an intermediary uh, to to meet with Sitting Bull. Cody had scouted with Miles uh, in former years and had also actually employed Sitting Bull as a feature attraction with his Wild West show. Now, Sitting Bull might listen to you, Miles told Cody, but uh, under the same circumstances, he'd probably take a shot at any of my soldiers. Well, Buffalo Bill went at once to Fort Yates on the Standing Rock Reservation, but authorities there were not really happy when they read Miles' written instructions to Cody, which said, Secure the person of Sitting Bull and deliver him to the nearest commanding officer of U.S. troops. Well, the reservation guy, James McLaughlin, uh, the agent, and Lieutenant Colonel William Drum, the military commander, uh, they both feared that Cody's action might actually cause a general outbreak throughout the area. 
So the military authorities immediately took it upon themselves to get Buffalo Bill drunk and send a wire to Washington and have his orders uh, rescinded. So picture this, folks. All the officers were requested to assist in drinking Buffalo Bill under the table. Now, there's a captain, and he recorded this. He said, quote, but his capacity was such that it took practically all of us in details of two or three at a time to keep him interested and busy throughout the date. Uh, Although the rugged Cody managed to keep a clear head through all this maneuvering, he had scarcely started out to Sitting Bull's camp before a telegram came from Washington canceling his orders. So Buffalo Bill Cody's out of the picture now. Meanwhile, Agent McLaughlin had decided to take Sitting Bull into custody himself. See, you see, he was hoping to prevent a dangerous disturbance, which he felt would result if the military authorities forced the issue and tried to make an arrest. Now, McLaughlin gave the necessary orders to his Indian police, instructing them not to to permit the chief to escape under any circumstances. So here we go. It's just before daybreak, December 15th, 1890. 43 Indian police surrounded Sitting Bull's log cabin. They were led by Lieutenant Bullhead. He was the Indian policeman in charge of the party. So he went in and he found Sitting Bull asleep on the floor in his cabin. When he woke up, the old war leader kind of startled and stared up at Bullhead and said, what do you want here? Well, Bullhead said, you are my prisoner. You must go to the agency. So Sitting Bull, he sat up and yawned and said, well, okay, I'll go with you. Let me put on my clothes and I'll go. So he called on one of his wives and sent her to a cabin for his best clothing and then asked the policeman to saddle up his horse for him. Now, while these things were going on, faithful followers of Sitting Bull had been dancing the ghost dance every night for weeks. Now, picture this. They were gathering around the cabin. They outnumbered the police four to one, and they soon had them pressed against the walls. When Lieutenant Bullhead came out of the cabin with Sitting Bull, he must have sensed there was a bad situation uh, going on here. Well, while they waited for Sitting Bull's horse, a fanatical ghost dancer named Catch the Bear came out of the mob. And he said, quote, you think you're going to take him? He shouted at the policeman. You shall not do it. Come now, Bullhead said to his prisoner. Do not listen to anyone. But Sitting Bull, he kind of held back a little. And it kind of forced Bullhead and Sergeant Red Tomahawk to pull him towards his horse. So you see, he wasn't really going really willingly. Well, without warning, Catch the Bear suddenly threw off his blanket and brought up a rifle firing at Bullhead, wounded him in the side. As Bullhead fell, he tried to shoot, but the bullet struck Sitting Bull instead. Almost instantly, Red Tomahawk shot Sitting Bull. Now you see, folks, things are not going well. A wild fight developed immediately, and only the timely arrival of a cavalry detachment saved the police from extinction. Well, as you can imagine, news of Sitting Bull's death swept across the reservations, not only his, but all around the country, startling the Indians and the watchful military forces in the Dakotas. 
most of the frightened followers of the great chief immediately came into the Standing Rock Agency and surrendered, but there was a bunch of them that fled toward the southwest. Now, those who were running knew exactly where they were going. They were looking to join forces with a ghost dance believer, an old chief named Bigfoot. Now, for some time, Bigfoot had been gathering followers followers at a small village uh, on the Cheyenne River. As the ghost dance craze increased, so had Bigfoot's forces. And even before the fatal shooting of Sitting Bull, a small party of cavalrymen under Lieutenant Edward Sumner had been assigned to watch his movements. And so as soon as Sitting Bull's death reached Bigfoot, he began preparations to break camp. Now, Lieutenant Sumner accepted the chief's explanation that the Indians were preparing to proceed eastward to the Cheyenne River Agency, where they would spend the winter. Now, Bigfoot was unusually friendly and declared that the only reason he had permitted the fugitives from Sitting Bull's camp to join his people was that he just felt sorry for them and he wanted them to return to the reservation with him. Well, Lieutenant Sumner was so convinced of Bigfoot's sincerity that he permitted the band to keep their guns. And this was a decision that was to get worse uh, as we get closer to the tragedy of Wounded Knee. And you'll see that. Before dawn the next day, uh, December 23rd, Bigfoot and his ever-increasing band were in rapid flight, moving in the opposite direction from the Cheyenne River Agency. Now, the question has never been settled as to whether they were heading for the Pine Ridge Agency, as Bigfoot's followers later claimed, or for the Sioux strongholds in the Badlands. But it's a fact that a few days earlier, those two leaders who had once visited the Messiah in Nevada were in the Badlands, and they had with them several hundred fanatical followers keyed up to a high frenzy as a result of their continuing uh, the ghost dance, chanting and dancing. Well, learning of Bigfoot's escape from uh, Sumner's cavalry, General Miles ordered Major Samuel Whiteside of the 7th Cavalry to intercept the Indians, take their guns away from them, and return them to a reservation. So now it's December 28th. So, folks, it's Christmas, it's winter, it's cold. Whiteside scouts found the fugitives on Porcupine Creek, and when the major sighted a white flag fluttering from a wagon, he rode out to meet it. He was surprised to find Bigfoot lying in the bed of the wagon, and he was covered with blankets, and he was actually suffering from pneumonia. Well, Major Whiteside shook hands with the old... uh, sick chief and told him that he must bring his people to the cavalry camp on Wounded Knee Creek. Well, in a hoarse voice that must have almost been a whisper, Bigfoot agreed to the order. Whiteside, on the advice of one of his scouts, decided to wait until the band was assembled beside the cavalry camp before taking their guns away. Now, during the march, none of the cavalrymen suspected that anything was wrong. You see, the Indians seemed to be in good humor. They talked and laughed with the soldiers. They smoked cigarettes. Not one of the cavalrymen seemed to have been aware that almost all of these Indians were wearing sacred ghost shirts, which I described earlier. And they believed they would protect them from the soldiers' weapons. Now, the soldiers seemed to be completely ignorant of the fact that their prisoners were obsessed 
with uh, the belief that the day of the Indians' return to power was close at hand. And one of the most fanatical members of the band was a medicine man by the name of Yellowbird. Now, all during the march, he was moving in and out among the Indians, occasionally blowing on an eagle bone whistle, and he was muttering ghost dance chants to the other Indians. So he was getting them kind of riled up, I guess you could say. Well, when the column reached Wounded Knee, the Indians were assigned to an area near the cavalry camp. They were carefully counted. There was 120 men, 230 women, and some children. Now, rations were issued, and they set up their shelters for the night. Now, for additional cover, this Major Whiteside gave them several army tents. The troop surgeon went to attend to Bigfoot, as I mentioned, he's suffering from pneumonia, and they actually set up a a stove in the chief's tent. Now, Major Whiteside, however, did not entirely trust Bigfoot's band. So he posted a battery of four guns, training them directly on the Indians' camp. Now, as I mentioned, it was a cold night. Ice was already an inch thick on the tree-bordered creek, and there was a hint of snow in the air. Now, during the night, Colonel James Forsyth of the 7th Cavalry rode in and took command. Now, significantly, there were now at Wounded Knee five troop commanders, a guy named Moylan, Varnum, Wallace, Godfrey, uh, and Edgerly. Now, these men had been with Reno and Custer at the Little Bighorn. Now, picture this, folks, too. With Bigfoot, Bigfoot were warriors who had fought in the same battle. Much would be made of that in the days to come. So now you've got uh, two forces that both fought at the Little Bighorn. Now, in Forsyth's command was a young lieutenant named uh, James D. Mann, who was to witness the opening shots of what happened. And here's what he said. The next morning, we started to disarm them. The Indians formed in a semicircle in front of the tents. We went through the tents looking for arms, and while this was going on, everyone seemed to be good-natured, And we had no thought of trouble. The Indian women were sitting on bundles, uh, which were actually concealing guns and other arms. He said, we lifted them as tenderly and treated them as nicely as possible. Now, he said, while this was going on, the medicine man, Yellowbird, who was in the center of the semicircle of Indians, had been going through the ghost dance and making a speech. And the substance of which was, as told by me later, uh, said, quote, I have made medicine of the white man's ammunition. It is good medicine, and his bullets cannot harm you, as they will not go through your ghost shirts, while your bullets will kill. Well, Lieutenant Mann kept on, uh, he continues, he said, quote, It was then that I had a peculiar feeling come over me, which I cannot describe. Some presentiment of trouble, and I told the man to be ready there is going to be trouble. We were only six or eight feet from the Indians, and I ordered my men to fall back. Well, he continues, in front of me were four Indians, three armed with rifles, and one with bow and arrows. I drew my revolver and stepped through the line to my place with my detachment. The Indians raised their weapons over their heads to heaven, then brought them down to bear on us the one with the bow and arrow aiming directly at me. Then they seemed to wait an instant. The medicine men, or the medicine man 
threw a handful of dust in the air, put on his war bonnet, and an instant later, a gun was fired. This seemed to be the signal they had been waiting for. And the firing immediately began. He said, I ordered my men to fire, and the reports were almost simultaneously. Well, folks, you see the picture here. Things happened fast after that. There was fierce hand-to-hand struggles. Bigfoot died early. Uh, disillusionment over the failure of the ghost shirts had already affected most of the other survivors. By the end of the day, a blizzard was approaching. The medical staff gathered the wounded together uh, to gather them uh, to a field hospital at Pine Ridge. And folks, I'm not going to describe in uh, detail the things that happened in that battle. Uh, you can read that yourself or you can imagine how what a horrible scene that had to have been. Um, some journalists uh, pictured the wounded knee tragedy as a triumph of brave soldiers over treacherous Indians. Others declared it was a slaughter of helpless Indians by a regiment searching for revenge since the Little Bighorn. And, you know, the truth undoubtedly lays somewhere between these opposite points of view. And, you know, folks, it was a tragic accident of war. But at Wounded Knee, the vision of the peacetime Paiute dreamer Wavoka finally came to an end. And so had all the long and bitter years of Indian resistance on the Western Plains. And folks, again, this is not a happy story, but it is kind of an important story when you consider Sitting Bull and those that were involved in the Battle of the Little Bighorn. And uh, that's the story of the Ghost Dancers and the Battle of Wounded Knee. And we'll see you next week, folks. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.